Hey guys, welcome back. This is Off Topic, and we are back with episode four of season two. I'm Cody, and I'm with my co-host, Felisa. Hey girl, what's up? Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> How are you? How was your weekend? The long weekend, actually. <laughs> I am fantastic. Like, I feel so well-rested. It was a really much-deserved weekend because I got to rest. I got to hang out with my family. Mm-hmm. It was great. It was really wholesome. So, yeah. I mean, I don't have much to say about it, but it was re- it was really, really great. Um, how was yours? That's amazing. Yeah, so mine started on Thursday. We invited to Heritage Day celebration thingy, my Bob. And I just, you know, relaxed, let loose. I had a lot of alcohol and I was dancing a lot. So that was <laughs> nice. But then my body was really sore the next day. <laughs> it was yeah, so definitely. sore. I remember you were completely... Jeez. Yeah. I was crazy. like... When you haven't had a lot of alcohol in a while, like to that degree, mm. how, how bad it is when you do. It's It was so bad. It was so bad. Yeah. And then, yeah, the festivities carried on onto Saturday because we were invited to another lunch, which was nice. And actually, we had a very um, deep and meaningful discussion around um, heritage. And I wanted to actually bring up some of the stuff that we spoke mm-hmm. about there. So our topic for today is um, our heritage, you know, um, where do you come from? Mm. Um, My question for you is, who do you, or what do you identify with when it comes to heritage and your traditional um, beliefs? I guess it's all encompassing, right? So when we speak about heritage, it includes um, like traditional beliefs, right? Definitely. Um... And my side has been very complicated just because of the structure of my family and upbringing. Mm. Um, so when people ask you, like, what are you? I always get, like, frazzled because I'm just like, I don't know what to say. Mm. Um, so I was raised by my, my maternal side. So my mom's side of the family um, yeah. were pretty much half Zwana and half Zulu. Um, mm. My grandfather was Zulu and my grandmother was Zwana, is Zwana. Um, yeah. So I speak Zwana. That's what I speak primarily, but I practice mm. Zulu customs, you know. Um, yeah. So, so it makes it a little bit tricky. But at the same time, if we're following the paternal side of the family line, which is what you generally are told you are, mm. um, that's Ndebele, I think. So yeah. I don't know anything about the Ndebele culture or <laughs> the language, so I can't say I identify with it. Although, like ancestrally, that's what I am. Mm. Um, so I identify as a one speaking Zulu person sure. that's what's been safe for me and what I feel like best suits what I represent or am so yeah what about you sure can you actually speak Zulu because I've never heard you speak Zulu I can't get that like I I'm really not that bad um it's not great you definitely can hear that this person doesn't speak Zulu like a lot but I can mm. get by you know you can hear that issue this girl maybe give yeah. you know. Give yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can get by. I can get by. Yeah. You can't like yeah. you can't like gossip about me in Zulu and think I don't understand. And I can definitely respond. Um, a lot of my family is Zulu, so when they're around, I'll speak Zulu. Um, but yeah, it's not the best. It's definitely not the best. Yeah. Yeah. And you? Yeah. What do you? Um, what do I identify as? So for me, um, I yeah, I identify as a Sutu um, speaking person. Um, but from your, like my family is a hodgepodge. <laughs> so like, mm. I know from my paternal side, um, they are like Koi, half Koi, half Tswana, but I don't really know much about this. It's like much like you, I don't really know much about that side because I wasn't really raised by, you know, the family. And I've, I haven't really had any, I guess, deep, meaningful interactions with them in that sense. So mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be able to know, like, the history of the entire family and all of that. Then from my mom's side, um, it's, it's, yeah, I, like, there's Kosa, there's Swati, <laughs> and there's a bit of German, in, like, German involved as well. Um, but I think primarily because when I was growing up, I used to visit my grandmother a lot. Um, and actually, I was raised by her to a certain extent, um, you know, going to her house, like during the holidays and all of that stuff. So 
I know, like, Sesotho, basically. <laughs> and every single time I speak Sutu, people are like, what the hell? Because <laughs> the Sutu here in Johannesburg is so different. It's to the very Sutu different. In, like the free state or like Kwa Kwa or, you yeah. know, Sutu and stuff. And the reason why I'm asking about language, right, is because, so we were speaking, so while on Saturday, like at the lunch, we we're speaking about what would you pass down to like your kids? What are like some of the traditional things that you would want to pass down to your kids? Mm. Um, yeah. So what are the things that you would want to pass down to your kids that you think are really important um, in terms of identity? Yeah. Um, I was actually just before I answer your question, I was actually going to like add to your statement, like mm. especially because I grew up in Soweto and Soweto's got like a mass amount of like amalgamations of cultures. So mm. it's so different, so different to other places where there's a set cultural practice of the area, like mm. where our parents grew up or rather our grandparents grew up, where it's just an area of Zulu people or just an area of Tswana people, you know, like if you're mm. from Mafiging or Rustenburg, obviously Yodwana. If you're from Kwakwa, you're Sutu, you know, mm. if you're from Wazulu Natal, then you know, so it is very different. You have everyone here together interacting all the time. So I think yeah. it makes it makes cultural possibly more from a linguistic perspective, like language is all mm. like mixed and they salty dal. You know, like it's the whole whole lot happening here. So I think I've had exposure to a lot, which has been great growing up, but at the same time, it's made it difficult to identify just with one side, you know? Mm. Um, but going back to your question, personally, I don't think I want kids, first of all. <laughs> but if I, have, <laughs> if I happen to have any, I definitely pass down the Zulu customs I've learned and grown up with, because that's all I know. Mm. Um, it's not like I have an option. It's all I know. Yeah. I think I would pass down just the respect of our ancestors, all our practices of, you know, rites of passages, how we practice um, customs when it comes to birth, how we practice customs when it comes to death, marriage, union of families, um, you know, all the sort of like ceremonies of giving thanks to ancestors mm. and uh, the like. So I think I would pass down that. And also just the beauty and um I suppose the more symbolic meanings of what we wear is law and now I might not be pronouncing it right, but you know what it means yeah. for Indombi, yeah. what it means versus a married woman and all those sort of like nuances. I think the Zulu culture is really beautiful and I wish mm. I had more context than I do. I don't, but it's what I do practice often. So I think yeah. I would pass down those very concrete rite of passage ceremonies and also just an understanding of why it's done. I think mm -hmm. that more than anything with our generation per se, we kind of know things have to be done, but we don't exactly know why. And mm -hmm. I think the why part is really important because that's what sticks. That's what keeps you doing it because, you know, there's an inherent meaning that you attach to the things you're doing. You're not just doing yeah. them for the sake of it. So I think, yeah, all that knowledge is very sacred and it's such mm -hmm. a huge part of who we are as people that like it can't just be left to die because we die you know yeah your, your actual you know lineage starts to die when we forget about those practices so I, I think from my side those are the things I would pass down if I had any kids yeah sure. what about you I actually wanted to ask you a question before I answer that um don't you think um the stubbornness of like our grandparents has actually contributed to the continuity of our cultures for example, you know how you, actually what you were saying now with the rites of passage and things like that, and with younger people, we tend to be like, oh, no, why are we doing this? It doesn't make sense and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. our, I, I feel like our grandparents, like their stubbornness to a certain extent, obviously, I don't necessarily agree that every, um, you know, traditional practice makes sense. But I think personally for me, I'm actually grateful that, like our grandparents have been so stubborn in some of the things and they said, no, we are going to continue doing this because it's important, even though the explanations sometimes haven't always been very clear. But I think yeah. that stubbornness is, is the reason why we still have like our traditional ceremonies today. Don't you think? Most definitely. Most definitely. I think my, because I was raised directly by my grandparents. Um, my mom was really young when she had me. 
So yeah. um, she left She left the province, she left Gauteng to go and work in the Northwest. And I pretty much stuck around with my grandparents. So they raised me throughout. Um, yeah. And and for me, it was a way of life, I guess. It wasn't, I didn't even have the option to opt out because it's all I knew. I grew up under them. So mm. I think their relentless spirit with, with their beliefs and what it meant for them and their continuity, um, it brushed off onto me very naturally. I, I don't recall resisting, you know, the practices, but to, to answer your question, I agree. I, I know a lot of people were like, oh, you know, my grandmother makes us do this or, you know, they expect this yeah. from us. And I think yeah. it's very, very important. It's even with language, you know, growing up mm. when we start learning English, they kind of force you to speak Setswana or force you to speak, you know, your vernacular language because it you'll, you'll lose it if you don't use it, you mm. know. And I can't imagine being 25 years old right now and not being able to speak a word of Zulu or Dwana. It mm. would be... It, tense because i mean we 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 in the zulu customs you know which i don't know if you know what that means but you kind of speak and communicate to your ancestors kind of like prayer and you can't exactly do so in english Mm. (laughs) you can't hear you (laughs) so um i think i think that's part of the reason why the stubbornness really really works because honestly if it weren't for that i think we'd be lost in the maze you know um, mm. But other people can argue that you find your own new cultural practices, you know, that like culture is learned behavior and you can always learn new behavior and pass down new customs. But I don't know, man, I'm a little bit <laughs> weirded out by that. But yeah. Yeah, I'm also weirded out You're by that. What you're pass yeah, like actually I was going to expand on your um, point about um, language. For me, language is one of those important things. And I think language carries so much culture in itself and it's what you're saying that like there's certain things that you can't say in English so for example we had a discussion um about for example um what how do we say cheers in like Sutu or Zulu and what what have you and the answer there was black people don't cheers (laughs) you know that's not like our practice we don't do that we do something else when we're celebrating maybe it's like kamaku or you know something else and we don't necessarily need to have that word in our language and it doesn't mean if we don't have a word that's spoken in English then our language in itself is kind of archaic and it hasn't grown it's just that like certain things just don't happen in our in, in our um, culture and actually there's other things that are happening therefore we have words for that um, and you know I I'm not not to be judgmental or anything but I think for me it's very important especially as a black person if you are raised by black um, parents in a black context where there is you know like presence of language or African language I think it's very embarrassing not to know your own language or like speak Sutu or Zulu and because I've heard a few people you know being very proud of how their English sounds very British um, when they are raised in South Africa and it's you know like a, a black community but they still don't know how to speak their own language it's yeah I don't know um, and it also kind of causes or that's, I feel for me, that's where classism comes in. Um, mm. Can you still hear me? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I can hear you. <laughs> yeah, I, can hear you. I, I feel that's where classism comes in. And um, because you kind of speak your English in this kind of way and you sound like the queen, therefore you don't identify with the rest of the black community. That's where my problem is with um, not knowing your language and not being able to relate with other black people. That's just my view. And it's not judgmentalism, judgmentalism or whatever the case may be. It's just that I, I really value um, who I am as a black person and I value the things that we do. And I don't, like some things don't need to be reinvented. Like you, you were mm. pointing out earlier on that, no, you know, some people think that they need to go out and create their own cultural practices and things like that. But I, I'm always asking, what is the reason behind that? Why is it always so easy for us to adopt other people's cultures, whether it's from the, the East, for example, you know, we want to, um, I don't know, meditate X, Y, and Z. But when it comes to our own customary um, practices, we kind of want to find the alternative. It's always so quick for us to do that. 
anyway it's a long Definitely. it's a long Definitely. explanation but like <laughs> Yeah, the, I, I think for me to answer the question, it's definitely passing down language because I think it carries a lot of culture. Um, language is, yeah, it carries a lot of yeah. culture. And then the second thing for me is respect and um, love for all people. I am not of the opinion that we need to like only respect our elderly. You know how there's like in the black, in black cultures, we always taught to like respect your elderly or respect older people and things like that. I I've found that sometimes it causes like a power imbalance where, you know, parents and people that are older always think that they're right purely because they're older. Um, I think there's yes. a fallacy in that. And um, yeah, for me, I, I'm definitely going to teach my kids to respectfully, uh, um, obviously like if, uh, an older person is saying something, but they don't necessarily agree. I will teach them to, you know, respectfully disagree um, because there's nothing wrong with that. Um, both pers- both people can learn from each other, whether you're old or young. So those are the mm. two like, really important things for me. Yeah, I agree. And I, I mean, on the point of language that you brought up, I think it's also great to acknowledge the fact that because um, the English language doesn't have some of the terms that we use in our vernacular languages, for instance. It's hard mm. to understand concepts that you need for your life going forward because mm. English doesn't explain them, number mm. one. And number two, through mm. language, you're able to speak to all sorts of older or elderly um, community members of your culture who mm. have so many tales to tell about the past and your heritage that yeah. now if you don't know the language, you aren't able to you know, grasp the concepts and grasp the tales and grasp the learnings that come from our lineage. You know, mm. I mean, I have cousins of mine who don't speak any Dwana. And I recall just before my great grandmother passed away, we went to go visit Gomafiking and uh, we got there. And obviously, the rest of us can be, speak Dwana, so it was fine. They don't speak a word of anything vernacular. And they were just going on about, like, hi, Granny, how are you doing? You know, mm. and my great grandmother speak a word of English so she was just looking at them like you know and you're missing out on so much um wise interactions because you just can't communicate Mm. in a particular language and I mean our elderly individuals in our cultures are some of the most wisest individuals they have so much wisdom they have so much to share like you would be missing out on so much like I've learned so much just being around being raised by grandparents and being around great grandparents it's it's been a world and of a wealth of knowledge like that's come from there and I've been able to access this and tap into this because I understand the language, you know, and mm. the meaning it carries. So I think you stand to lose out more than you gain if if you're after social status and you're losing, status, you're yeah. losing a lot of your identity for some currency mm. that really doesn't matter. Social status absolutely does nothing for you. Um, nothing. Yeah. So I agree with you on that. Um, and in terms of um, your second point, I also agree with that one, with the respect factor, because honestly, I, I do think that I get why the elderly are put at such a pedestal in our culture, because they just know more and they have so much to pass down and hence the, you know, really treat them like gold. But mm. I think that um, we need to also understand that we are living in a more modern space and there's also lessons from where we are that they could gain from, you know, and yep. I think okay. conversations... Yeah. And allowing a really safe space for old and young people to interact is really great. Because mm. I remember growing up and I was told, oh, man, I'm like, you're a child. Why yeah. are you commenting? You know, and, yeah. you know, until I got to a certain age, then I was allowed to start speaking. And I think it shuts you up and makes you feel like, you know, your opinion doesn't matter. You know, mm. um, so I, I agree with that, that like as much as we must respect our elderly. And I completely agree with that because they're sacred. Mm-hmm. I think opening a space, a safe space for communication between both generations or all generations is really important um super important, yeah yeah what do you i have a question for you actually mm-hmm. i was going to ask you you wish that you kind of had more knowledge of when it comes to your lineage or heritage or cultural practices that you don't think you are perhaps equipped with at the moment Hmm. <laughs> I think that's such a loaded question, actually, because I haven't thought about it that way. Um, remember, I think there was an episode that we recorded last, like the, the first season, season one. And I was saying mm. that the way that I was raised, and we were even laughing about this, like, how could you say that? 
I was raised like a like bushman, like a bushman, right? So mm. I don't even know what's missing. And I guess that's that's the the sad part about it, that the fact that I don't even know what cultural practices are missing in order for me to be fully okay. as a black person. And yeah. yeah, like I don't know what I don't know, essentially. Yeah. I think mm. I think that's and that's fair enough. I mean, how could you know if you haven't been exposed, you know? Um yeah. and I think again it's also not your responsibility if you weren't taught. I mean it is. Mm-hmm. It really is if you it want is. to know, I guess you know. Yeah. Um, but you can't blame yourself for not knowing at this stage yeah. of your life until you go on your own inquiry. And it's so much harder when you don't learn from the people in your family, um, organically. Mm. Personally, I just think there's a certain level of depth that I'm missing. I feel like everything I know is very surface level, mm. you know. Um, so I know a lot, culturally speaking, but in terms of the depths of where it comes from, the depths of why it's done, the depths of, you know, um, why it's so sacred, I, I, I would love to know more. But it's just mm. something that, you know, conversation hasn't really been opened up about that. Secondly, like even just cooking the traditional food, I'm terrible at cooking the traditional food. Like I don't know how to make mohodu. I don't know how to make, <laughs> you know, the traditional beer. I don't know how to make khemer. Like all the things that yeah. like people make at these ceremonies, I have not learned a single thing, and I judge myself so much for it because I'm pretty much the person who just sits around and like helps the way they can, but I don't really know how to. And I feel like. We're getting to that age where you should probably start, you know, learning how to do all these things if you want to be able to continue on some of the practices because you need it. Like you can't go your path without Mdomboti. You know, you need mm. to have um um so I know a lot of people don't know how they clan lames work. So if you're a patla, they don't really know what to say. So there's a lot of stuff that like there's gaps missing mm. in people's cultures and things that we don't exactly know how to do. Thank God I know how to do that. But like, you know, just the yeah. Yeah, like what you do with the um, gallbladder, I think it's called in English. Yeah. Um, yeah. In it's called khala. I'm not sure if it's the same body part. I hope it is. But, um, you know, <laughs> I, they, so, <laughs> I hope it's that. Or I'm lying to people. Um, but I think it's a gallbladder um, or khala um, also in Zulu. But you use mm. that to do certain things. And I don't know what the hell happens. But I know it's a very important body part um, when you slaughter mm. and stuff like that. So, I mean, there's those nuances that I really wish I knew more of. I just know, like, surface-level stuff. So I think going forward, I really want to be intentional about understanding and learning hands-on how to continue these, you know, really sacred cultural practices. Mm. Um, Speaking about that, actually, I wanted to ask you um, a question that was also asked recently. I don't know if it was last week or not, but um, it was more about the traditional food. Actually, I asked you this as well last week, um, where I was asking you, what is traditional food? You know, um, because most often than not, when we speak about traditional food, it's always like the alternative meat that you get from, you know, like an animal. And by that, I'm referring to like, mukhodu, you know, mala, things like that. But then what about... Like steak. What about burros? What about all the all all the rest of it? Essentially, that we get from, you know, the chain stores. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess well, for me personally, it depends what you're referring to when you're saying traditional, because all food is traditional, right? I think mm. we eat pasta as South Africans, and we eat it, and we don't think it's traditional. But to Italians, pasta is it is traditional. Yeah. Um, we eat Varsia in, 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 in SA and it's traditional mostly to the Bura individuals, you know, your Afrikaners. Yeah. And so I think when we when we speak about traditional food, we don't really specify what traditions we're referring to. Mm-hmm. Um, steak and but stuff, let, I'm not too sure. About African. <laughs> let's speak about African yeah, yeah, No, I just wanted to just drive that forward that like all food essentially yeah. is traditional. And yeah. us, in terms of our preparation, it's it's all a preparation situation, right? So mm-hmm. where other people would use certain body parts of the cow as a, a, a tender fillet of steak with their mushroom sauce, mm-hmm. Ohai, we use it to make chocho, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same piece of meat. We just overcook it until it's basically very brittle and like fluffy and it's really good. But like we yeah. don't have 
huge, you know, pieces of like steak fillets that we make um, yeah. as traditional food. Um, and I guess it's it's just a different method of preparation and why we make it that way obviously depends on, you know, where you're coming from and what the customs were there. Um, and I think the reason Africans don't have fillets of steak was because this meat needed to be shared with so many individuals that mm. it's easier to serve food that's broken down into little pieces and over, you know, a, a, a little bit of porridge so that everyone in the community who's there to support the ritual or ceremony can eat more. Um, whereas in the West, they can have huge pieces of steak for everyone to eat because I don't think they have huge ceremonies like that, you know? Mm. So, I, I mean, these are my own conclusions. I'm not saying this is fact, but if I think about it logically, when we host ceremonies and rituals in our traditional, you know, communities and villages, there's so many people who come, you know, mm. to eat. So from a preparation perspective, imagine making steaks for like so many people. It just doesn't make sense. We use yeah. the drift in huge pots so that we can feed everyone. So it just makes sense to make chocho instead of like huge fillets of steak. I don't yeah. know. What's your yeah. perspective? <laughs> I definitely I'm so agree sorry with you. what chocho is. Um, no, I, I know, I know what chocho is. Shredded meat. Yeah. No, not for you, just for our listeners, because not everyone speaks Sazwana <laughs> or whatever. It's oh, shredded meat. Yeah, shredded meat. Actually, I was about to say that um, like here's a preparation thing. Yeah, yeah, pulled. That's what I was about to say as well. That you know, it's a, it's a preparation thing, but it's also what we call it. So what they would call it in English is you know pulled chicken or pulled beef, and then on our side, kichotlo or like I don't really know what a Zulu term would be for that. Um, yeah. But what I wanted to ask you a follow up question on that is what is your view on black like some black people saying that they don't eat certain things because it's disgusting or that they just don't like it what's your view around like around that that you know it's very easy for someone to say I like I like caviar but then when it comes to like Maotwana they're just like no (laughs) Um, I think it depends why you're saying it I think there's people Mm. who authentically do not enjoy eating mohodu Mm. and like there's nothing wrong with that but then there's a certain amount of other people who say that because you know they fit in with the status quo of you know um, this meat is for lower class individuals so I think if if you authentically don't enjoy something that's fine but then maybe you don't eat mohodu but you'll eat the liver that they you know fry on the day Mm. or you don't eat mohodu but you'll eat you know, the goat's meat, whatever the case may be, you're not like entirely picky. And there's some people where, you know, game that's been slaughtered directly, you know, it causes them stomach issues, like mad gastric issues. There's a lot of people who complain about that. Um, So I think if it's not for a health reason and you generally your your taste buds, then I guess no one can say you can't like something. If you don't, you don't. Mm. Um, And I mean, I've encountered similar situations now that I'm vegetarian, where I can't exactly eat the meat, you know, because mm. <laughs> but I've had to eat it. Like if it's a ceremony, like right, recently it was my grandfather's funeral. Obviously they slaughtered. And even though I'm vegetarian, I had to eat the meat because it's a cultural practice. You have to eat a part of the meat. It's like eating a part, sharing a part in the person who's passed away type of thing. Mm. So I had to eat like, they literally were like, eat the smallest piece just so you've had some. So yeah. Yeah. what you value more your cultural practices or do you value your own practices and for me honestly my vegetarianism can fall away when it comes to that especially mm. because these these specific animals are grown in a better environment than like the butchery you know they actually yeah. grow naturally before they slaughtered they're not pumped with hormones they actually you know cows that grow and graze naturally so i don't mind that much but um yeah. it just depends what yeah. you you place value on but again i do think there's people who don't like it but there's other people who want to you know stunt and just be like oh no Mm. i don't eat that kind of stuff you know i'm too bougie for it which i mean i don't know how to feel about that (laughs) no i definitely agree i mean for example i don't you know like i don't like like the i think they call it (laughs) <laughs> yeah right they call it baslap i don't like that thing because of the texture. I love the, and exactly like i remember when we went to soweto um we feel like as a street remember yes i like remember so traditional drunk. food experience ever um but and i was eating like mala 
because that's what I enjoy. And like some people hate it because it's slimy and, you know, all sorts of things. And I definitely agree that like, if it's not your preference and there's certain things that I also don't eat from like the Western cultures, just because of the way they taste, I just don't enjoy it. Um, it's the same reason for me, but like, I definitely have seen a lot of people, um, you know, stunting and saying they don't like certain African foods, not mm. because of, not because of their health or like their lifestyle or the taste. It's just like there's no reason. And I guess if there is no reason for me, immediately I'm thinking this person is just looking down on this food, and it's just so unfortunate because people literally travel to Asia and eat like cockroaches. And they will enjoy exactly. that stuff, <laughs> yeah. you know. And it's where do you think all of that comes from? Like, where do I you think, think it goes back? The latter comes it, from, yeah. Yeah, I think it goes back to that episode we had on um, spirituality in mm. season one. We were speaking about, you know, the culture of hate that Africans carry because of the system. Um, mm. We were made to feel so low were made to feel like scum that you know yeah. when people start to advance into western culture they would rather leave you know everything that made them just to you know be better than and mm. um, it really is a system of self-hate to some degree when people you know ditch their culture because Absolutely. you know it's 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 yeah. it's lower class or whatever the case mm. may be um and there's a lot of unlearning that needs to happen. Like, I, I can't stress that enough because you, you, you can be educated, you can have money and mm. enjoy and delve in the Western cultural experience. But you can also alternatively, you know, be still um, strong in your cultural practices as an African individual. And I think that makes you the most powerful individual ever, having the best of both worlds and being able to dip into the pot of knowledge of both cultures, whereas, mm. you know, people from the West only have their cultural practices from the West and they yeah. often complain about how empty that is, you know? Mm. So why would you ditch some, something so fruitful and something so rich, you know, wealthy yeah. and knowledge and rich for, you know, something everyone else has access to. And that's really not based on much, you know? Um, mm. And that's not who you are. Like at the end of the day, it's, yeah. it's really not who you are. Um, but yeah, what do you think? I, I absolutely agree. Like you literally took the words out of my mouth because I was going to say exactly that, that you can be rich, you can be educated um, and still have the best of both worlds. What I don't understand is how, like we really think that English and everything else that comes from the West is, you know, it, it screams wealth, it screams education, but that's not it. Um, and I also think you can't be power, you can't be a powerful person if you don't know who you are, um, if you don't understand who you are. And I think, for example, speaking your language is a very deep part of your own understanding as a person, where you come from, your lineage, um, as we've already spoken. Um, eating the food that, because because food also carries a lot of culture, you know. Most certain, definitely. Yeah, the, and and if you are not indulging in like your own cultural foods it's just unfortunate that you won't you won't be able to experience the fullness and the richness of you know your own culture so yeah I completely agree with you it's it's something that we both agree 100% on definitely and I actually on that note I had a question for you um based around um let's say from millennials to gen z um, what do you think the future of our heritage as, you know, black people in particular and even color people? I mean, yo, the colored cultural conversation has been so tricky. I don't even mm. think I want to dip into that part. But let's just speak because we are African women. Let's just speak mostly about, you know, African individuals and I guess yeah. Indian people, too, because I think, our, you know, African religion or let's say African cultural practices and Hindu cultural practices are pretty similar um, mm. because I've been studying a lot of Hindu culture and I, I, I can see a lot of, you know, um, similarities in how we practice our cultural, you know, ceremonies and rituals and our beliefs in it so deeply and how it's so spiritual for both parties I think we're pretty similar like that so I was going to ask like where you think the future of us and you know Gen Z people and what they think about cultural practices and heritage how is that going to change in your in your thinking 
I think it's definitely going to be more fluid. It's going to be like um, what Johannesburg is compared to like KZN to like, uh, you know, Free State or I don't know, Northwest in terms of language. You know how we have this hodgepodge in um, Johannesburg of all different languages and it's all kind of mixed, mixed and mashed. I mm. feel that's where culture is going because we all kind of borrowing from each other um, in many different ways, whether it's like African taking Africans taking other African like cultural practices. So what I've seen is that there's like a lot of cross-pollination between Southern African um, cultures with Western African cultures, purely because you know people are moving around and they're marrying, you know, in between each other. Um, but also mm. the African diaspora that's coming from everywhere else um, other than Africa. So I think that's where it's going. And I think it is okay if that happens organically and not because of the self-hate, but more of a curiosity thing. Like, for example, now you're learning, you know, about Hinduism. And um, it's not because you're learning about Hinduism because you you don't like African practices. You just want to learn about it, right? So it's at the end yeah. of the day, there is going to be some kind of cross-pollination that happens. Um, I'm all for that, only if it's organic, like I've said. Um, yeah, that's where I see it going. And unfortunately, because of like social media and things like that, I don't think we as an African, like, I don't know, African culture or African people have been using like social media enough. And I'm not saying that we're not using it at all, but I'm just saying there needs to be more of that. You know, we need to be... To show our cultural prowess, yeah. Exactly. We need to educate each other. Um, for example, if someone is asking a question about, like, how do we say cheers, someone needs to know that, like, no, we, we don't say cheers because we don't do cheers. We say kamaku because that's what we do. So these kinds of conversations, I feel, need to be somehow documented on social media because that's where people are. Um, having those kind of kinds of accounts, like this, the same way we had Black Lives Matter, I think we need to have African cultural, um, like a, a cultural data room, essentially, yeah. <laughs> where you can go and be like, okay, these are the African cultures. This is what happens. Yeah, make it fun and also like, I don't know, attractive for youngsters to to even want to go there because for them it's more about like the hip and the happening. So if we can make yeah. it like that, then we are winning. Yeah. And I think for the longest time, our culture, our cultural practices have been, you know, little to, there's been little to no documentation about, you know, how mm. we are as people, how we've evolved over time, what our lineage was like from years ago. I mean, there is some, and I mean, there's more happening lately. And I think that it's tapping into the social media space. Um, would be so informative for most people. Well, I guess whoever is interested. And I guess exposure will cause a lot of interest or at least inquiry because when the information is there mm. and it's presented to you, um, you kind of start to ask questions. So I think, and it'll give room for those who don't have the exposure in their own families to get to know a little more about themselves through mm. those engagements because not everyone is afforded the opportunity to have, you know, cultural knowledge from their own family mm. um, for lots of mm. reasons. And I also wanted to ask you a question on cultural appropriation, because when it comes to South Africa promoting a rainbow nation, it kind of, you know, promotes unity of cultures and unity of everyone together. Um, so I guess from outside, like, I'm not going to say appropriating culture is OK, but, you know, lending from different cultures has been something that's been really um, accepted here, whereas politically speaking, people don't really like it when, let's say, I'm black and I start to wear a sari or, you know, a Punjabi or whatever, because it's not my culture. Mm. And my view of it is that, like, actually, tell me your view before I go into my <laughs> I think my view is this cultural appropriation thing. I don't, I don't quite get it because, um, and I think cult cultural appropriation is, it's a term that we only use when African, like, cultures are, like if when people are lending from African cultures, right? And I've seen that a lot. Like if a if a white girl starts make like doing braids on her hair and things like that, but I'm like, what's wrong with that, right? Because we've actually lended a lot a lot from the Western culture, whether it was by force or choice. I guess that's a separate um conversation to have. Either way, we hear 
we are, you know, practicing a lot of Western and even Eastern cultures, like um, meditating, for example. Black people don't really meditate. They do something else. You know, they, um, I don't even know what the term is. I think you said it earlier. What are you, like, calling on, like, your ancestors? Is that the same thing? Or am I just talking snack? <laughs> yeah, but there is, there is a level of meditation that happens in African spirituality, most definitely. Yeah, um, but it's not I don't know what it's called, but there, there definitely is yeah. a form of meditation in African spirituality, definitely. Yeah, but I do but get what you're like, saying. Yeah, it's not the same. It's as not like, in the way, yes, like mantras and stuff like that. <laughs> that is also yeah. like culture. We're taking someone's culture and making it our own. So but I think the distinction for me personally, what I was going to say yeah. earlier, um, is that there's a certain level of respect that comes with borrowing from other cultures that I think then make comes into the conversation when we're talking about cultural appropriation. And I'll explain. I was watching um, this new show that Gareth Cliff, Gareth Cliff has on E! News, I think. I'm not really sure what channel it's on. And they were having a discussion about cultural appropriation. And, you know, what came up was that, like, the, the, the reason it's called appropriation of culture is because you have, let's say, high-end fashion brands um, who take, let's say, a Susutu blanket print and go and make it into a bag and sell it at high prices and make profits. And nothing of those profits are going towards these individuals who that's actually a meaningful object or, you know, a meaningful Mm -hmm. symbolic thing for their culture. And you're just using it to gain profit and you actually have no understanding of the meaning, no respect for it. Um, And I think that's, that's really where the nuance is for me and what I deem cultural appropriation. There's nothing wrong with you having braids in your hair and stuff like that. If you approach it with respect, that's my first point. My second Mm -hmm. point is also that understand that, you know, with things like blackface, like there was also a conversation about the fact that kind of what's this guy's Leon Schuster. He Mm -hmm. has, you know, where he black faces he'll paint himself black and be a black person um, and joke around and make movies and entertain it's great it's entertaining we laugh at it it's amazing um, but at the same time understand what that means is that like you get to act as a black person but you get to wash it off at the end of the day and go back and be your white self you don't actually understand the nuances of black struggles you don't understand the nuances of being a black man you don't understand anything that comes with that you just see it as a form of you know i guess making a profit from your movies and entertaining the masses it's it, whereas for other people it's not entertainment it's it's your actual daily life so i think when we think about those aspects of respect and you know understanding then it's cool you know I think lending from other cultures is beautiful as long as you have an inherent respect and understanding of why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely, I agree with the first, first point about respect. Absolutely. That whatever it is that you're going to be lending from that culture, at least show some sort of reverence to the people, you know, but I don't, for example, um, these high end fashion, and this is just my own opinion these high-end fashion brands, I don't necessarily think they need to, like, take the profits back into the community purely because it is a capitalistic um, or capital system. And that's just, like, how... Okay, anyway, I don't even want to complete that sentence because it's going to sound so wrong. But I don't think that designing something from, like, the Basutu... Maybe you mention them, like, okay, this is for from the Basutu culture... But that's where it stops. Like, I don't think they need to do anything else at, outside of that. Then the second thing for me is, like, with Leon Schuster, for example, um, there is, like, the reverse of that that has happened. White chicks where two black men turned into white girls. Um, and it's not to say that, like, black people have the same struggles as white people. But at the end of the day, we both have our struggles. So to say that they can't go and act like white chicks because after that they're not going to be able to or they won't experience what it's like being a, a white girl, et cetera, et cetera. I think for me it's, I don't know, it's taking away from the art in itself because like comedy is such a, it's a, it's all about satire, you know, and making something that's really like um, harsh to experience and making like, you know, making it a bit light for people to see a different perspective or whatever the case may be. So I don't know if these examples 
are it. I don't know. But I mean, maybe someone else sees it differently. And like you said, you, you've already pointed out the um, example. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I, it's rooted yeah. in, in history. And I think going back to just how the world has always worked, where the West is always benefiting from, you know, the the, the cultural wealth mm. of you know, African countries and African cultures, and it's kind of perpetuating that same narrative. And I think that's why people get so sensitive about it, where we've never really benefited from, you know, being white. So it it doesn't change your life in any way for you to act like you're white, because you're just never going to benefit from it. You know, it's never worked for us, whereas for them, it's always worked. So I think if we think about it there and where the roots of all of this comes from, it starts to shed a little bit of light. But I, I agree with the fact that, you know, comedy is rooted in satire and making situations light and the like. But I think a little bit mm. more thought, you know, put into that about what what message you're trying to relay and um, how you're going about doing it is very important. So it doesn't mm. leave a bad taste in the people in which you're, you know, mimicking um, feel about themselves. You know, it, it's really odd when you have someone who isn't you or doesn't share the same cultural experiences as you going out to act as you and you don't recognize yourself in that person. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. So I, I I don't know. I'm a little bit like 50-50 <laughs> about it. Yeah, um, I'm also on the fence. I won't even lie. I I don't know. Like, I really don't. Yeah. But yeah, this has been quite the conversation. It's gone quite a few directions, but it's been very interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah I guess I'll just ask you for your closing remarks so we should wrap this up closing remarks <laughs> um, Sue when it comes to culture I think for me culture or language and food and our practices those three things carry a lot of our culture and I think we need to be stubborn about um, not letting them go for whatever reason. So if there is a way for us to kind of um, continue um, educating people about our language, about our food, about our practices, and having a data room where every single black person can tap into this data room and update themselves, whether there's new words coming out um, or new practices coming out, or there's an update on something, I think that's really, really important. Um, identity is something that I've, I think when you grow up, it's something that you don't really, you know, you don't really think about a lot, but then when you start growing up, especially when you get to like your twenties, it's something that you start questioning and you start, you know, doing a lot of work on um, and educating yourself. So yeah, yeah, I think we all need to educate ourselves um, around who we are, why we are the way that we are. And speaking to a point as well about the depth as well, why do we do certain things? Why do we pay Lobola, for example? Why do we, you know, yeah, anything else that people don't really understand and they're constantly questioning. When you question something, it's time for you to actually go and do the work and ask your, elder, your elderly. Again, the, the elderly are probably our biggest um, knowledge asset at this point. And I, I would love for us to tap into that asset while they're obviously still alive and you know we can learn a lot from them. So yeah, those are my three closing remarks. I don't want to go on for too long, but <laughs> language, food, cultural practices, and the last one, I guess, is tapping into that knowledge asset, which is our um, grandparents, you know, and great grandparents, and even our parents as well, because they also still know a lot more than us. Yeah, definitely, I agree. And I think you know, heritage is a very sacred thing. I think it's at the core. Um, let's understand that you know, just in terms of how life works, you wouldn't be here if it weren't for the survival practices that your forefathers had. And that carries a lot of strength in it. And I think understanding that and, you know, finding your place in all of that um, gives one a lot of, I guess, identity assurance. Mm. Um, I know a lot of people are like, you can choose your identity and you can make yourself exactly who you want to be. It doesn't have to come from people. And I think that's true, you know, but I think some things, like you said, 
are just inherently really important to know um especially as a black person because you grow up and you know you start to go through a lot of you know weird situations in your life and um it comes up that you know you haven't exactly um reconciled with your father's side of the family and you know you don't even know where to start and you know those things really start to come up when you start growing up you start wanting to get married you start wanting to have kids you need to understand the certain cultural practices that go on with that because you're introducing new life into the lineage and there's a way of doing that you know that you need to understand um you don't just have a child and uskamo be khakobadim you know you have to do all of that and if you have a child out of wedlock you must pay in kaulo you know there's so many things that need to happen you know and i think understanding why those things need to be done for the safety of everyone that's still here is important because the ancestral realm as much as it's not seen plays a really heavy part in terms of our daily life and i think that the more knowledge you have it it, it just protects you from a lot um we're yeah. not living only in 3D there's a whole other 4D and 5D realm of co- cosmo ooh, cosmology and um spirituality ooh. that we're not entirely you know aware of but i think educating ourselves like you said is really important and finding yourself making your own you know version of the truth that already exists is completely okay but the idea is to know the truth you know mm-hmm. um so yeah i guess those are my closing remarks is just really understand the depth of who you are from all perspectives not just the perspectives that you you know are inherently just like seeing in your everyday life you know there's mm-hmm. a whole lot you know um you can delve into but yeah i guess thank you for this conversation it's been really interesting and i've really enjoyed it um me too. if you guys have any of your own let us know how you feel about your heritage your culture are you tapped in is it something you're exploring you know how do you feel about everything and if you aren't african please don't feel like you can't come in or ask questions i know a lot of our discussion has been based on africans primarily because that's what we are um mm. but we're very keen to hear on other people's cultural experiences so definitely do share with us but yeah without any further ado let's wrap this up we'll catch you guys on episode 5 thank you so much for listening bye guys